Welcome to Dealcast, the weekly M&A podcast presented to you by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. I'm Juliana Needham, a business journalist who's been covering M&A for a decade. In this episode, we're looking at the financial services sector and the potential exits of private equity and venture capital. I'm joined by Pablo Mayo Siqueiro, who is head of financial services for M&A in EMEA. Hi, Pablo. Thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So to begin with, can you give us an overview of the state of the financial services industry in Europe? We've obviously got lots of different factors at play with the war in Ukraine, rising inflation and rising interest rates. So the financial services industry is arguably more resilient to some of these pressures compared to other sectors. In some cases, even, you know, rising interest rates can be good news for some of these financial institutions. Take, for example, your typical banks traditionally make money by taking in deposits and then lending out money and charging interest on that credit. So for years, they have been dealing with a, an ultra low interest rate environment where their margins are very tight. And at the same time, they have to deal with bloated cost bases. That's why a lot of them have been focused on digitization and other initiatives to um, try and strip down cost and improve those margins. So now that interest rates are going up, it means that they can make more money off of their core business. So in theory, that should be a tailwind for uh, bank margins. So long story short, there are companies within this sector that stand to benefit from the caring environment. However, there's a lot of question marks and you know, the situation is never as, as easy. I mean, it's always a bit more complex than that, right? So for example, there are questions around what we call credit quality, which means, okay, so if the economy gears into recession, uh, these banks that are making more money off of higher interest rates are they going to have to deal with defaults? Are people going to be able to pay back, um, especially those that deal with uh, vulnerable consumers? Those may be more exposed. And at the same time, you know, some of the banks also have been exposed to the Russia-Ukraine crisis. Some of them have operations in Russia. You know, look at Unicredit, look at uh, Societe Generale. So it's not a clear-cut picture. And obviously, I mean, I'm focusing on banks right now, but it does vary company by company and subsector by subsector. So it's not the same for insurance or, you know, asset management. If you're an insurance company that has exposure to specialist risks, like, I don't know, war related or energy, perhaps, you know, you might be quite exposed to some of these ongoing macro factors. Having said that, you know, if you're not exposed to that and you have a corporate client base, you know, these corporates need to retain coverage. So it's probably good news for you because they, they, they will still renew their insurance. So it really does vary. But overall, I think it's fair to say that financial services is doing better than other sectors. Great. Thank you. And can you tell us how some of this uncertainty has affected private equity and venture capital exits in the financial services sector? Like in any industry, private equity is becoming more and more relevant and financial services is not an exception. You know, maybe 10 years ago, it was strange to see a private equity own a regulated financial institution. But today, you know, it's actually pretty common. I mean, we have many examples out there uh, like Blackstone, it owns NIBC, that's a you know regulated maritime bank. And there's plenty more. Um, so, so private equity has been a driving force of deals within the financial services industry. 
for many a year now. Problem is, with all this uncertainty, it's never, I mean, uncertainty is never good for exits, you know, especially when you expect to exit at a certain multiple. You might not fetch the multiple you want if you were hoping to tap the equity capital markets. The dislocation in public markets right now makes it really difficult. Um, so you're left with a private sale. And sometimes you're just not getting the valuation that you hoped. So in some cases, this has impacted people's appetite. And some sale processes have been disrupted because of this. I mean, um, take a look at TMF, uh, for example, in the corporate and trust services sector, a massive asset owned by CBC. You know, we reported that they had appointed a number of banks to do a dual track. Sale explorations were going ahead and they got pretty far down the line. And then as of April, they were on pause because of the market dislocation. So that has been the case for other private equities. You would imagine that these guys are in probably in wait and see mode. And as soon as market conditions improve, they might uh, have another go at it. Uh, but it has disrupted some some processes. Now, what we're hearing is that the attitude is changing towards the second half of the year. And it might be a bit of wishful thinking, but there's a there's a number of uh, private equity assets that are getting ready, being prepped for a sale and, you know, getting ready to move as, as, as soon as a window opens up. So I think there is, you know, some cautious optimism looking into the second half of the year. And can you just highlight a couple of those interesting ones that are getting prepped for sale? Yeah, absolutely. So again, CBC, I mean, it's, it's normal to mention them because they're such an active um, investor and, and, and so big as well. But um, they have this uh, insurance broking business in France called April Group. We reported a couple months ago that they were prepping it for a sale potentially in the second half of the year, although the timeline is a bit flexible. And basically, you know, businesses like, like this that have lighter capital requirements and have predictable income streams like an insurance broker. You know, an insurance broker acts as the middleman between customers and insurers. It's not taking the risk on a balance sheet like an insurance company is. So it's more services oriented, so to speak. And private equities tend to like a lot this uh, sector in particular and other sectors with uh, similar characteristics. So if, if it were to come to market over the coming months, I mean, I think that there would probably be quite a bit of interest around it. Um, just take a look at the uh, Similar business in France. I mean, similar business. It's within the same sector. Um, Grupo Delem, owned by uh, TA Associates, they actually uh, managed to bring in Ardian as co-shareholder in in a deal that valued the company at circa one billion euros. You know, there's appetite for assets like this that are capital light, and you know, you can expand through um, acquisitions. And can you, for context, can you give us an idea of how the first half of this year compares to previous years? Obviously, there's a great deal of uncertainty now, but there was uncertainty in in 2021 and 2020 with the pandemic. No, that's a that's a very good point. I mean, uh, I don't think it's been probably not best positioned because I'm not earning <laughs> earning fees like an investment banker, so they would be better positioned to to comment on this. But if you look at just the overall figures. I mean, there is clearly a slowdown compared to 2021, particularly, but also compared to 2020. According to our data, you know, the, there's been at least 266 transactions year to date uh, with an aggregate value of circa 28 uh, billion euros, 
which you might think, oh, that's not bad. But you compare it to 2021, which, I mean, just for context, by all counts, it was an extraordinary year. 2021 was crazy uh, in terms of uh, the volume and in aggregate value of transactions. So obviously there's a, a significant decline versus the first half of 2021. And there's also a slight decline versus the first half of 2020, interestingly enough. So yes, deals are getting done, just taking a bit, a little bit longer. Thank you. And can you tell us what the expected outlook is? I mean, obviously there are a lot of different factors at play, but what are you hearing from your sources? Yeah, I think there's a bit of cautious optimism. I think that a lot of these uh, private equity companies are getting ready, you know, to 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 move windows open up in the second half of the year. So there's a number of assets that are being prepped for sale. And, and I think that, you know, private equities will move at the earliest opportunity if they can. The question is now, what multiple are you able, able to exit? Um, so that'll depend on, on the company. But I think that there's a number of sectors that attract a lot of interest, such as, you know, insurance broking, the fund uh, services sector, and that is operations type services for uh, private equity funds and, and, and other investment funds. So th- those sectors that have lighter capital requirements are not balance sheet heavy and, you know, have a great deal of recurring revenues. Those tend to be really attractive particularly for private equity investors. So I would expect to see some of those come to market over the coming months. There's also a number of interesting assets that are backed by uh, venture capitalists. The situation there is a bit different. Um, I think that a lot of those would like to IPO at some point, or at least that's what they signal, um, what they indicate. It's a matter now of are they brave enough to sort of like push for an IPO in the coming months or will they choose to just remain private and continue growing privately, which today is a very attractive option as well. I mean, there's not necessarily an urgency to to go public. So you, you might just choose to do another funding round and just wait and see. And what about the impact in the fintech sector? the intersection between financial services and, and technology? Because obviously the tech sector has taken a bit of a battering over the, the past few weeks. Yeah, I think that's a very important question. And uh, in, in this sector, in financial institutions, the word fintech gets thrown around more and more every day. Everybody wants to be seen as a fintech. And I think there's a spectrum. I mean, in, in my personal opinion, I think there's a spectrum in, you know, each company falls somewhere along that spectrum and there's no rule of thumb. So some of these businesses have extremely impressive growth profiles. They earn recurring revenues that maybe they have subscription revenue and that's easier to compare to other types of tech companies. Other businesses are effectively financial institutions that take credit risk on their balance sheets. They just have, you know, very, efficient, automated underwriting models, proprietary technology that they use to expedite this and they get an an edge over their incumbent rivals. But it's difficult to say sometimes whether this is a fintech or not. I think it's interesting. I think that some of these crazy valuations that we saw last year at some, some of these fundraisings, there's a question as to whether these will hold in the current environment. 
I don't personally cover Klarna f- uh, closely, but Klarna is one of those examples that has been reported in the press as one of those companies that might have to take a haircut if uh, they need to raise capital again. They have their their growth has been so exponential that you know they haven't really focused that much on short term profitability. And I read an article the other day, an interview with the CEO, and you know whilst they still want to maintain growth. They were keen to sort of focus on short-term profitability a bit more. Bear in mind that you know they they do have credit exposure because they they effectively extend credit to millennials and and Gen Z customers. So it's interesting how this situation is going to play out. Do you keep kind of betting on growth, and will investors continue to buy into the growth story, or is it more or is it more of a balancing act now? Where yes, you keep the growth going, but at the same time. You do really need to show some fundamentals, and you need to, you know, start to to worry about profitability, and that's going to impact the way a company is valued. It's not the same to be valued on a revenue multiple uh, when you have no earnings than to be valued on a say a book multiple on your loans. Yeah, and I guess companies like Klarna are exposed to consumer credits. Well, they're they're all about consumer credit, which is likely going to be hit if we do go into a recession. Looking more broadly at the financial services sector, what are the possible exit routes for private equity and venture capital groups? I think at the moment, probably private sale is clearly the name of the game. As a, you can try and do an IPO later on. As a matter of fact, I think you know the fact that the ECB is raising interest rates after a decade of ultra low interest rates. The Bank of England has already jumped the gun; they've already raised rates, but. That might give a boost to the equity stories of some of these companies that benefit from the interest rate increase. So we could see IPO candidates have another go and try to tap um, public markets in the second half. I mean, I'm thinking, for example, Ibercaja in Spain, you know, it's like your typical bank. They have a lot of mortgages in their book. So if those mortgages are a um, variable rate they stand to benefit from the from the interest rates um, hike. So definitely, I think that would be pro- probably a boost to the equity story. So I think that there will be an opportunity to IPO for some of these companies. Otherwise, it's going to have to be a private sale. And in some cases, some of these businesses are actually quite resilient and private equities sometimes choose to remain invested a bit longer. So they might put them into a continuation fund. I'm thinking, for example, in the fund services space, which is so in vogue these days, um, this was, I believe, last year, um, Astorg decided to put its asset IQEQ into a continuation fund and just hold it a little bit longer rather than trying to IPO it or sell it off. So that's also an option. Great, Pablo, that's really interesting. Thanks very much. Thank you. That was Pablo Mio Sequeiro, Head of Financial Services for MA in EMEA. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Dealcast presented by Merger Market and SSNC Intralinks. Please rate, review and follow the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or look out for your Merger Market news alert. For more information, check out our show notes. Join us next week for another episode.